We'll talk about that when it's more relevant in the episode. I don't think it's ever going to be relevant. It's, when the term skyjacking comes up, it will be relevant. Hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Combat Zone. To start off today's episode. Wait, we have to do an opening. We, this is the opening. Oh, you did a little fake out for yes. me. Yes. Welcome to the Combat Zone. Well, because Combat Zone, that's like the area in Boston where you get drunk and you say the words against minorities and beat up people. It's like the drunk area in Boston. I'm shaking my head. The combat zone. I think that's the whole area of Boston. Welcome to Liz's cage. We are talking (laughs) cage fighting, being stuck in cages, classic uh, AOC, children in cages. Oh, yeah. We're doing all cage talk, but specifically today, (laughs) we are talking about two of the most uncaged gentlemen in technology today, Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg. I have like too much to say about this for it to be just in the opening. Well, start. We can do a long opening. We make the rules here, baby. I don't know if I like our rules. I want to say that you texted us earlier. I'm just going to fucking break just the... Get, just go on, I'm, Liz. Go on. Look, We're uncaged. Uncaged, telling my truth. You texted us earlier and we're, and was like, we got to get press passes to cover the we fight. Did. Yeah. And I was like, hold the phone. Which I was clearly doing. I just texted you. <laughs> Hold the phone. Did they? Are they actually going through with it? I didn't see the news. Well, so for those of you who, uh, I mean, this has probably changed by the time. I'm sure Musk has like backed out by the time that this episode comes out. Mm. But today, which is Friday, August 11th at 2:21 p.m. at 1175 Green Street in Queens, New York. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Elon Musk has uh, said, has, has claimed that his upcoming fight with Mark Zuckerberg has be, is booked. It's going to be uh, in Italy. He has talked to the uh, Maloney, the prime minister, and it's going to honor Italy's past and present. And now past, okay, I get gladiators, uh, Mussolini, mm. uh, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Presence, I'm like, what? Tight, really tight jeans? Well, really, really tight jeans? I guess it's, you know, kind of the ruins of deindustrialization welcoming in a bunch of American capitalists yeah. to have at it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a little strange, but so far, right now, it is booked. Yeah, he says um, live stream will be on this platform and meta. Okay, whatever. Everything in camera frame will be ancient Rome, so nothing modern at all. This uh-huh. guy is such a fucking dipshit. Then he says... <laughs> Okay, like you said, everything done will pay respect, blah, blah, blah. And then he says, and all proceeds go to veterans. But I'm confused. Does he mean Italian veterans? <laughs> or, uh, yeah, or it's a little glo- rude the global to go to an- veterans? another country and be like, about, it's for You can't our just veterans. say global veterans because if you say that, then at some point you're giving, you're giving funds to veterans of both sides. Both sides. Well, which I do believe Because you've got in. winners and losers. I do, I do believe in that. No, it's going to be to American veterans, which that's the first thing I have a problem with. Why you have it? the VA. You want us to make another VA? Why veterans? Is he because it's a fight? He you thinks ha- that that's like related. You had a job, <laughs> and you no longer do the job. Why do I have to give you money now? Here's the thing. This has to happen, it and I have to, to see it. Yeah. My worry. Mm-hmm. Actually, we were just talking about this before you came in. Blood. Me and Young Chomsky. No. So a couple things. Obviously, everyone wants to see Musk get the shit kicked out of him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would be fucking fantastic. Never been more team Zuck. In my life, Easy. but you know, your what is it? Your enemy's enemy is my friend, or whatever. Yeah. There we go. So, but yes. my thing is, is that Not I either. worry that Musk live streaming him getting the shit kicked out of him will somehow earn him goodwill, and I don't like that potential. 
I've thought about this because if Musk is smart, he wants to play it's, the heel here, right? Where he like he acts, yeah, he but goes he, Wario. He uh, goes Wario. He acts as villainous as possible. Yeah, he allows himself He's to have the up. shit kicked out. Exactly, have the shit kicked out of him by Mark Zuckerberg. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is, is Musk. I think is too neurodivergent. Now, this is a term that is kind of new to the combat sports arena, but I believe that Musk is unable to uh, sort of put his mind into the mind of the common man, right? And so I think that if he was smart and he was empathetic, right? Mm. Empaths, long been a staple of co- the combat sport environment. But if Musk, he's uncap- incapable of doing this. And so I think that he genuinely thinks that he can straight up do a fight, do a fight <laughs> with Mark Zuckerberg, and he can win based, I think, and this is a classic, the Saladin strategy. I'm not talking, of course, about the ancient warrior, but about the WWE wrestler, or WWF at the time. I think he is going to the, he thinks his, he being fat, essentially, yeah. he can sort of, like how, the classic character like we talk body about. body slam him. Jabba, right? He's not full Jabba mode, though. I know, but J- I think he's taking sort of the strength of Jabba, whereas like Jabba, Jabba is a slave master. Jabba is a crime lord. Jabba is a powerful individual, but Jabba himself is incapable really of fighting, right? Yeah, he's immobile. He's immobile, but he's kind of unbeatable. I think that Musk mm. will not have the stamina, though. I think that, like, as, as big as he is— I don't think he's is, got the muscle mass. So I was also— Because no. re- he just did Ozembi, right? Yeah, he, he did Ozempic. He did a—or one of them, Wagovi, whatever it he is. He Ozemp. He, one he of did them. one of them, yeah. Munjaro. And I was reading that— um, one of the things about the, what is it, GLP-1? Is that what it's called? Um, that they, you know, one of, you know, you, when you lose weight rapidly, yeah. you always lose a certain percentage of muscle mass. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when my man here is going to, like, get mad at me for even probably getting something that's wrong. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's why you want to supplement with higher protein to kind of try to keep hold on to as much muscle mass, you know, so you don't lose as much, right? But that apparently in studies with GOP ones that you lose a percentage, you lose like muscle mass at a higher cliff than you would normally, gotcha. which accounts for some of the uh, Ozembi face qualities yeah, sort of that we sallow, see. sunken, this was in some studies, skull-like face. Yeah. Yes. Um, now this is a pro, I'm, I'm pro all of these things, but I'm just saying now he would have a lot of work to do to build back muscle mass. We, if you want to keep up with what Zuckerberg has been doing, He's, like, fighting. He's, like, in MM training, like, fully leaned out with some dude named Israel. So I think he's got, like, a— a guy, a guy named Israel? Yeah. Just powerful Latino name. Absolutely. Very powerful. But also, if you're, like, my MM main trainer's name is Israel, mm-hmm. I'm backing away. Exactly. I'm yeah, getting I'm out, out of, of there. I'm out of here. And so I'm thinking that these two are on different tracks here. What—you know, new listeners to the show might not know this, but I am a former— I'm I'm a former combat sports worker. I worked at a, a, a boxing gym oh, for a few right. years. Uh, in fact, I ma- I kind of managed the boxing gym for about a year of that, or maybe two years. I kind of can't really remember. Uh, I myself don't really participate per se. I have a gun, and mm. so I don't need to to do that. But uh, it, it I saw a lot of fighters come and go, right? And one of the fights that I always think about. And then I'm kind of it's is we had this Christian group that paid the gym a lot of money in order for us to train them up and actually license them to have a charity boxing match. And uh, they paid us a ton of money. I mean, we really flossed them. 
uh, and uh, fleece them. Yeah, there you fleece go. Fleece them. We flossed them too. They're big teeth. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they just swished us around in there like a little scope. And uh, there, there was an uneven, like one fighter got sick. They're all going to be paired up with each other, but one fighter got sick. And so we had this guy who was like 6'4", massive fucking dude. Some pound, he got a body on him. Big guy. Okay. Big, classic big blonde Aryan prince. He didn't have anyone to fight against, and so we got the guy from the liquor store down the street, which coincidentally is the first place I ever drank a beer on 3rd Street in San Francisco. We got this guy uh, who is the owner of the or a worker at the uh, liquor store there. Mm. He was about 5'7", maybe weighed 225 pounds, no okay. muscle, uh, <laughs> smoked weed frequently, I would say many, many times a day, in fact, often – all day, uh, and it was during Ramadan, and he was a, a Muslim, and so he was not really able to um, drink water or eat during the month that he had to train for this. Uh, this was the final night of fight of the night. I was in his corner, and I was also announcing the, the – Of course. Oh, no, I wasn't announcing that one. I announced the kids' one uh, the oh, next week. Oh, um, that's cute. But I was in his corner, and his family was there. Everybody else there was like a giant white Christian from Sunnyvale. And, or not Sunnyvale, uh, no. What, what, it was like San Jose. It was one of those, what, it was like Silicon Valley yeah, yeah, area, yeah, like I know South Bay. Yeah. Um, and uh, he gets up there. The, we, they, we start the fight. And first punch, he gets in there and he knocks the guy out with an uppercut. Complete, the only knockout of the night. Um, and because of that, no, and he basically didn't train at all. Yeah. Uh, now, you might think that, the, that me telling that story is like, well, maybe Zuckerberg could kick his ass. You no. mean Musk? I'm saying, excuse, excuse me, yeah, Musk could kick Zuckerberg's ass because he's he's got kind of like a physical advantage in a way. Yeah, submersible Wrong. body, like Wrong. we've talked about. Zuck can get, because he's taller, right? Zuck, uh, Musk says he's 6'1", six, 6 feet? Yeah, Musk says he's 6'1". Other people say he's 6'2". Looks like Zuck is about 5'7", which, yeah. Oof. People think being 5'7 in a situation like that is a complete disadvantage. But if you get up in there, right, you get right, right, in there, you're rocking. Yeah, yeah. This is sort of like the lesson of um, uh, Space Jam. It, it, absolutely. This is, in fact, they call this in fighting sports the Space Jam method. So right. I think this, without a doubt, I think Zuckerberg has the stamina. I think he's got the body, hell of a body on him, uh, <laughs> and I think he has. I think he's got the. I think he's got the force of will to do it. Like, if there is a a a man with a will, right? Yeah. Metaverse. Meta, changing the name of the company in general. Threads. Zuckerberg has the mm. juice in him. What, is, what does Elon do? He just changes so, the name of the company. Here's he already the other bought. thing, though. But you, if, you, if Elon were to take a different tack mm-hmm. and suddenly emerged fully Jabba'd mm-hmm. and went full Jabba mode and was like, I'm going to do what you don't think. you like, okay, you think little guy's going to come for me. I'm going Java mode. My move is sit on the ground, don't move. Yes. Yes. So that, that would be very difficult. I think you're on to something here, Liz. I think sort of people- movable object move. <laughs> well, what, what, what Musk has said is that he's doing is he's lifting weights while at work. Which, uh-huh. let's be honest, that's not going to work. And that's, um, that's not, not how, he's lying. That's like buying a standing desk because you, because you think it'll yeah. like help your posture yeah, or something. Sure. You're not, it's not going to happen. What he needs to do is he needs to get as fucking fat as possible. Like, I'm telling you like. I think he might only have time for that. Musk needs to, I, I'm not joking. Musk needs to double his weight right now. 
and get as big as possible to the point where Zuckerberg physically cannot take him down. But also, don't tell anyone. Yeah. Don't emerge. Element of surprise. Element of surprise. He should, exactly, you're right. Go behind the curtain. You gotta go fat monk mode. Five months, six months. Get his, like, I'm telling you, he needs to come out of there 400, 500 pounds. He should be like, I'm going deep in monk mode. Yeah. I'm going into training. Mm -hmm. I will emerge. I'm going into the Himalayas to train. Everyone's like, oh my God, wow. We remember like that man where that guy did that. Six years in crazy. Seven years, however long he's been there. Do it. Yeah. But then he comes out. Super fat. Super fucking fat. Because the thing is, you're trying to take down a guy of that size. And everyone goes, (gasps) check this out. The only way they were able to kill Jabba was by strangling him with a chain from behind. They were never Mm. able to actually get him down for a a three or ten count. I don't know. I've never actually watched MMA. But like for whatever count they do. They were not able to count him out. They had to assassinate him sitting up. Right? And I think that if also, if Musk does a thing where he just puts his arms up in sort of the don't shoot posture mm. and falls forward on Zuckerberg while weighing 500 pounds at 6'1", maybe 6'2", maybe 6 feet, maybe 5'11", he goes down, he takes Zuckerberg down. The timber move. Now, one last thing that Zuck could do to counter that, gold bikini. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Lib Liz's Palace. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> no, no more jabas. Okay. Uh, well, Hello, like, everyone. I need to see another movie, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I think you have, and but you like, do. Another movie with an accent in it. Like They make those. I know, but a lot of those accents people would not really appreciate yeah, you can't really doing just do per se them. Not on recorded exactly. radio. Even though I respect all cultures, if I try to talk like them, people are like, "That's don't you can't do that. You're too good at it. You're too good You're at it. You're too good at it. You but should watch I, some more Australian movies. Maybe a dingo sucked your slinger. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm Liz. Hello. My name is, not going to do an accent here, Brace Belden. And, of course, we are joined by Pakistani producer Young Chomsky. <laughs> and the podcast is called? It's called Trunon. Hello, everyone. Hello. Ladies and gentlemen, we recently did an episode on airplanes. Yes. It really took off, I think. You know, I was going to say that too, which is really bad. But, you know, I'm going to do something that neither of you are expecting. No. Well, what? <laughs> which is if you have not listened to our episode on airplanes, which actually inspired this very episode that you're listening to, did you know that you can sign up for free at patreon.com slash trueanonpod and actually hear that episode about airplanes Wait. that we are referencing in this episode? I don't, don't know what you're... Is it free? You can sign up for a free trial. Oh, for a free trial. We have to mention that it's a free trial. It's a trial. Well, yeah, you sign up for free and then you delete it if you want. But if, this is what I'm going to say. Don't I'm going to dare you to not delete it and listen to more episodes. Here's the thing about trials, right? You either pass or you fail. You pass or you fail. 
And you are on trial if you sign up for patreon.com slash pod or truanon, I can't remember which. And if you fail that trial, we do have your email address. I would say we are both terrible at plugging basically anything that we do mm-hmm. professionally, personally. I ran for Congress in Orange <laughs> County two years ago. I never met you on the show. I know. That was crazy. Yeah. Um, so apologies because we're so bad at it. But this episode that you are listening today actually was inspired by that episode. Was inspired by that and episode. And you should listen to that episode because I think it gives good context. Yes. This is an episode about something that Liz insists on calling skyjacking, I, that but the rest is- of the world calls <laughs> hijacking. I don't call it that. You do. In fact, you wrote it over and over. Most uh, of the notes for this episode are just, just Liz writing that in various fonts, various sizes. Yeah, with the little hearts over the eye. Yes. Uh, would you, so l- let me ask you this, Liz, before we actually get started on the meat of the episode here, mm. you are on a TWA flight, right? It's yeah. 1971, and you are going from Heathrow to, uh, let's say, uh, Hamburg. Heathrow to Hamburg. It's the classic HH, How uh, Hitler uh, okay. line. Uh, and a man of some kind of origin, likely Liz in her mind is picturing someone swarthy, uh, comes out. I don't out. think you're that swarthy. Oh, thank you. I'm a little swarthy. You have a little. For my actual racial I background, that, yeah, I yeah, got yeah. a little bit of, I got a little, I'm dark. You, well, right now your shirt unbuttoned with your chain. I'm kind of like you're a dark skinned white looking guy. looking a little swarthy. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little, I'm a little swarthy. Right? And I do have chest hair. Okay. It's, it's, it's poking out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm draped Swarthed in gold. out. Guy comes out. He's got a gun. He says, ladies and gentlemen, this flight is being taken over. And we are going to Cuba. The pilot immediately informs him there is not enough fuel for that. Yeah. And he changes routes to we are going to Lebanon. Okay. What do you do? Well, first of all, I say, never been to Lebanon. Never been to Lebanon. Sounds great. The Paris of the Middle East. Yeah. Why? We should go Beirut? before, you know, the rest shit of hits it, the fan. Yeah, well, shit. Oh, you're saying this back then. Yeah. Because shit has just been in the fan for no, a No, no. I meant right in now. Lebanon specifically. Yes. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. maybe it's time to go. Maybe it's a great time to go there. Great time to go to Lebanon. I keep my head down. Keep your head down. I shut the fuck up. Interesting. And I wait for cues from stronger looking passengers than myself. Do you? But if they tell you, if they do a classic- What am classic, I supposed to do? If like go do, if, jump the do hijacker? They, do they do a let's roll? And do you roll with them? What, oh, you're saying do I join the hijackers? Do you, no, do you join the Because it is a binary situation. Do you join the let's roll people who are like, because now this is a situation where now that some of the other passengers are like thinking about. How long is the flight from Heathrow to Lebanon? I'm going to guess here and say 10 hours. No, I'm going to say 10 hours. It's probably like seven hours. No way. Probably like seven, eight hours. I'm going to say five and a half. Five and a half? Yeah. Okay. Let's split the difference. It's 15 hours. I think it's six and a half to uh, Dubai. Uh-huh. And the reason I know that How is because know? I yeah. just watched the show Hijack. Gotcha. Okay. On Apple TV, which did not inspire any of this. You started watching it enough. after we were doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, well, I had heard about it, and I was like, huh, that's funny. But then we were, we already planned this episode, and it was like, oh, man, hijacking is just in the air. Mm-hmm. You like that? Um it's something's in the air uh-huh. with hijacking, and everyone's talking about it. In that show, Idris Elba, who is definitely someone I would trust and follow 100% if he was on the flight and he was like, I'm going to be the guy in charge. You know he's 5'7"? No, he's not. Yeah, he is. He wears crazy platforms. Okay. Well, he is like, everyone remain calm in the first episode, so this is not really spoiling anything. Everyone, don't let do the let's roll. 
Don't let's roll. You have to wait and see what information comes to light. Why is this hijacking happening? Who is actually all involved? Are there hidden hijackers? Are like who hidden are the hijackers. Yes. Like in the seats who are still pretending to be passengers, but maybe they're hijackers. That's a good idea. Um, you don't know that what the stakes are and what the moves are. Because what if you agree with them? Well, but what if you just like you don't know what's going on yet? Yeah. So you wait. I'm I'm in a wait and see situation. You're in a wait and see situation, but you know what happens when some people wait and see? Mm. Twin towers. So you got to consider that. Or vacation in Lebanon. My idea is I will immediately be like, "Excuse me, hijacker, hijacker. Excuse me." Like dinging the bo- bell a bunch. Ding 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 ding. Just hijackers like, annoying. "What do you want?" And I'm like, "This is." For what? Like, what are you doing this for? Oh. Like, explain this to me. And I'm like, well, if because if I agree with them, like, well, I'm on your side then. Because okay. you're probably going to get, a, like, $2 million from the French government or whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. And so it's like, can I – I don't want, like, an equal share of that. Obviously, I didn't participate in any logistics, the planning, whatever. Like, I'm not – but I'm now I am helping you, right? And so, like, I would face consequences. And so, like – can I? Because you don't like planes are big sometimes, and so it's like I know you have like four guys. You guys are met, met Lebanon, Becca Valley, whatever. But like, you kind of need like a fifth set of eyes. Like sometimes you bring in somebody after you've like worked on a project with people for a really long time. Like, can sure. you check this out? Right? Right, right, right. And so I'm like, tell me your plan. Give me a gun. Right. First of all, I'd feel safer like that. Give me a gun. Tell me the plan. What's going on? Here's my question. What? Are there real bullets in the gun? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, I, and I'm shooting it off. I mean, so if ever this is a true and on tip to anybody. Just holes everywhere in the plane. True and on tip. Changing the pressure. Just put a put making a, it more exciting. Exactly, because that makes everybody have a better time. If it's because like kind of lightheaded, the pressure's good. It's yeah. like being at a rave. Also, you can just plug the hole with a sweater. Mm-hmm. And or so corks or cork, right? Or just put someone with a big old bald head in front of. Or them. you could stretch out real long and hold them exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, that's if the walls are caving in. But um, so I, I would, I would kind of just like suss out what's going on and see if it makes more money for me to join them or to possibly sell the rights of being a hostage player. Because you have to look at a hostage situation as a money-making opportunity. This is another true and rule. If you're ever taken hostage, you have to decide whether it would be more financially uh, advantageous for you to join the, the kidnappers or for you to continue to be a hostage, or hostage and sell the rights to your story later. Well, especially if you are being hijacked on a plane during a time when hijacking was not illegal. Yes. Which yes. we're going to talk about today. You're good. Let's get to the meat of what we're talking about today. Yes. Actually hijacking. Hijacking, so, not skyjacking. Hi, hijack. We will be referring to it both as hijacking and skyjacking today. I'll I'm mostly be doing hijacking. It. Liz will, of course, be calling it skyjacking. So <laughs> what is the word hijack? It is an invented word, Liz. Nobody knows what does the that fucking... Mean? All words are invented. I know, but it's like, there's not like etymology for like, this originally meant like ring oh. of copper in like ancient, uh, yeah. you know, Gaelic or whatever. No, nobody knows the etymology of this. Most people agree that it began sometime in the 1920s in America, often used in stories describing bootleggers being robbed by other criminals. So criminal on criminal action. Mm. The chief FAA psychologist, John T. Daly's 1973 essay, basically, development of a behavioral profile for air pirates. Now, air pirates is a very cool term. We love air piracy here. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit about air piracy coming up, too, because it's... I feel like air piracy is a little bit distinct from a hijack. Okay, But we'll get get into that. He says... 
The word hijack apparently has no roots in the king's English, originating completely in America. It was widely used among members of the International Workers of the World during its heyday from 1912 to 1920 and originally meant a member of a band of hobos who preyed on harvesters of the Midwest and the Northwest United States. It was also used as a general synonym for holdup. So I would say hijack and hobo. That does feel that very does feel, related. That feels like a hobo there's a, term. There's a very like railroad twang mm-hmm. to both kind of. I feel like jack in, used in various ways was one of the top hobo words of the time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like that is completely. Totally. Like they were all named that. They all use that as basically every verb. Right. Like yeah, it's just like that's one of their words. So the early history of hijacking is actually basically just air piracy mostly revolved around the shooting down of low-flying planes. So as we said in the airplane episode, airplanes and mail routes sort of grew up together, mm-hmm. right? Like, they, yeah. like well, one thing that people always had to do back then is get letters. Yeah. So as the U.S. was figuring out how to get letters around, they and airplanes started getting invented, they started using low-flying airplanes, and they started letting people kind of hop on. And that's how the airline industry kind of came into itself. Exactly. So in early instance... Of hijacking. And now, remember, this isn't like the, the – I was saying that in Peru, 1931 is when people generally point to the first hijacking mm-hmm. because I think that sort of resembles more traditional types of hijacking where it's like a group of politically minded people trying to get a pilot to do what they want. Yeah. Right? I would say this one is a more traditional hijack in form of the way that the pilot was jacked while high. Okay. Because the jacking of this pilot takes place in, in the air, whereas the other one, they, they jacked him on the ground. Okay, okay. And it was a group of guys jacking him, and this is just one guy jacking Wait, him. Wait, stop saying that. So I back in 1928, an 18-year-old named Clarence Frechette attacked a pilot he had hired to take him across Michigan. Now, Liz, I actually took this from a newspaper at the time. Could you read this little excerpt I have? Pontiac, Michigan, May 14th. Fighting for his life in midair when attacked unexpectedly with a hammer, swung with maniacal fury by his passenger, Harry Anderson, 28-year-old flyer of Roseville, Michigan, lapsed into unconsciousness while his plane fell 2,000 feet in a nosedive this afternoon. The plane crashed into splinters on the grounds of the state hospital for the insane. Horrified spectators who had watched the spectacular flight in the sky rushed the crash victims to the city hospital. I feel like we need, like, newspaper-y sound. Yeah, like, absolutely. Extra, like, extra, extra, read all about it. Like a ticker tape coming off. So Clarence had left a note for his girlfriend that said, My postage is death, sweetheart. That's he, a great... No, you got to say it like... My, my postage, postage is, is death, death, sweetheart. Yeah, you need a little accent. Can my you do postage it? is death, sweetheart. Yeah, there you go. But an 18-year-old, my postage is death, sweetheart. Yeah, it's not as good. So be grizzled. Be a grizzled 18-year-old. My post, my, <clears throat> my post, my no. postage is, my postage is death, sweetheart. So Clarence gets sentenced to mm, prison, and I think it's like six years he does in there. That's fucking crazy, though. Yes. He, I mean, so you're—yeah, exactly. You hit a guy—I mean, I don't really know what he was trying to get out of this, but he hit a guy in the head with a hammer that was flying a plane. Yeah. He had actually told the guy, he's like, listen, I actually try out—this is such a crazy— And then he crashed into the hospital for the insane. <laughs> Nuthouse hospital. He ended up exactly. landing where he needed to go. In the motherfucking loony bin. Well, he ends up going to the regular clink, gets out, and this is what they don't tell you. 
About like a year after he gets out, he's sweet on this girl, right? You know, Same girl? No, different girl. Oh. And his boss at his job is like being like, I fuck this girl, I fuck that girl. He's like talking about all the girls that he has like made, uh, what do they call it at the time? He made whoopee with. <laughs> and he's like, I, I made whoopee with her, I made whoopee with her. Like many of these hoes have made whoopee with me. Like you gotta, yeah, you know, he's giving red pill advice, and Clarence is like, but, 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 but you haven't, you haven't, you haven't made whoopee with my girl, have you? And the boss is like, indeed, I have made whoopee with her. He kills his boss. He murders him for the crime of the whoopee. For the crime of whoopee, puts his boss in the trunk of his car, and is drives to California. It, on the way, diaped up. Diaped. I don't. I don't. I, well, at the time, I don't think adult diaper technology was as advanced as it is today. Mm. But men often did swaddle their under underpants in, or like they instead of underpants, he they could sort have of been swaddled the size themselves of just a very big baby. Clarence Frechette, I am picturing either a very a big baby, a baby that is the size of a teenager, <laughs> yes. or a teenager that's the size of a baby. Interesting. Uh, and he uh, he at one point stops and picks up passengers uh-huh. and uh, like he's actually with his girlfriend for a second and she gets kind of creeped out by him but he picks up passengers three like random people that he meets and he gets stopped in Truckee, California hey and because the his boss's parents had figured out that he probably killed him uh-huh. and so there's kind of an a- APB out for this character and they stop him and like Open the trunk, and there's just he's been driving the entire way with Oof, a dead body. Disgusting. In there. And I'm like, how did, did you tell nobody... him about the whoopee though? Uh, I mean, I think he did try to use whoopee in his defense. There was mm-hmm. actually the I spent way defense. too long looking at this stuff. Yeah. At one point, they did use a lie detector on him, and that became part of his appeal. But unfortunately, he was sentenced to life. Well, I guess fortunately, he was sentenced to life in prison. Mm. So there have been various other nutcases who have hijacked planes. At one point, the wife of a Parisian publicist, which that is. A if, Parisian publicist? I'm sorry. If you're a Parisian publicist and you have a wife, I think the way that God would write the novel of the world is mm. your wife is unfortunately going to be insane. Like she's going to have a really crazy mental illness. She was shot by police after she hijacked a plane on the tarmac in Paris. Okay. Uh, she sort of cycled between why she was hijacking it for various different political causes, and then at one point wanted to prevent the release of a movie. I think that's what she settled on. And after that, the police were like, "We will do no such thing. Polanski will stay here. We will never." We'll... I don't know how the French talk, but anyways, it mm. was not about Polanski. Well, they're very passionate about cinema. In sort of a callback to your oil man who uh, wanted to get back with his ex-wife, a man named Glenn Elmo Riggs, who is a vest West. That's Vir- a fucking fantastic name. I know Glenn Elmo Riggs. That's great. Men don't be named Elmo anymore. Men and and, and, you, know, and you know what? It's because of these modern women. <laughs> these modern women. Because if you get on Hinge.com and you write, I'm Elmo, no jokes, please. <laughs> All these women just fucking, they send you voicemail with like, hello, do you want to have a sneaky link? I don't even know what that means. Does it mean cheating? <laughs> I don't know. My name's Elmo. Look at Elmo is a great name. It's a great name. You'd be a cool Elmo. Elmo. I think I could do Elmo, you honestly. definitely. I think I could really do Elmo. You could pull off Elmo. I think I could. Maybe I'll leave my son that. I'm pregnant, by the way. So he was a West Virginia coal miner who demanded to be flown to Israel, which is... Yeah, well, I luck. love that. I think he was just really drunk because uh, when he was arrested and on trial, he was like, oh, I don't really remember what happened. <laughs> like, <laughs> he seems to have like – and he yeah. was drinking heavily at the, at the airport. Mm. And so I think he just got wasted. 
And then I don't know if we should. Turns out they just gave him a house. They just gave crazy. That's what they do. Yeah. When Americans (laughs) Israel, they just give you a house. Well, he didn't make it to Israel. Oh well. Uh, So, because they they just beat the. He left his. Actually, I'll I'll tell you how they got him. He left his gun on the seat. And this is a true and on tip. How do you? Where did he go without it? I think he was just like. I, he was the pilots like started drunk. Talk. So the pilots were just kind of talking to him, uh, like, "Hey, man, like, what's up?" And I think he was just like in the cockpit, like rapping with these dudes. And yeah. he put his gun down, and one of them just picked up the gun and pointed it at him. Yeah, well, and this is a true on tip for everybody out there. Don't leave if the you have the gun, hand whole time. Yeah, but Never, not on the trigger. Not on. Well, no, no. If you're pointing at someone, put your finger on the trigger. No, don't do that. Not, not in in a situation like this. Yes, do that. But don't use it to wave at things. Because that's what you always see, how people get it knocked out of their hand. They're like, you, you, over there. And then they'll use the gun to point in yeah, that direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have it's a whole flimsy, other like hand. They're, like, you know, waving a cold cut. Use either your head to point, like to nudge them in yeah. a direction. Yeah, plus it looks tougher. Chin. It looks tougher. Yeah, use the chin. But if you are being held up by somebody and they do put their gun down, uh-huh. pick up the gun and just yeah. shoot them. Oh, yeah. Or shoot just them. point it at them. No. And then pull that motherfucking trigger. All right. So uh, I don't know whether to include this th- sort of third type of nutcase or this other type of nutcase within the nutcase thing because this isn't a traditional plane hijacking. But you cannot discount the classic case of the pilots who go crazy and purposely crash a plane. That feels like a whole nother episode. It does. Because it's a different psychological profile. That doesn't have anything. You I feel that's like that's not hijacking. Mala- you think that happened in Malaysian Air? Wow, maybe we'll do that. And the, the German wings, the, you remember that famous one? I think it, it went down over France. It was yeah. like a German wings flight, uh, and it was like a depressed pilot who yeah. had failed a bunch of mental health. That is things. like so fucking scary. So scary because he had locked the other pilot out yes. because of post 9 11 yes. safety features. That, I, I think that, that also features in the show Hijack. hijack? Oh, it does. Yeah. Wow. Idris Elba talks about this? He just no, but it's like the part audience. of it. They're like, no, you can't get into the cockpit because of 9-11. Oh, that is. I thought the German wings thing Oh, was. no. No. So that's kind of a hijacking because he does take control of the plane, sole control from his, his co-pilot. We should but say this series is brought to you by the Apple TV show Hijack. Hijack. People will believe you, Liz. Do you think? Yeah, of course. But maybe people who are in charge of giving money like that. We'll oh, believe we it. could do, then, it's like how influencers will be like, like pretend that they're sponsored by yeah, like, totally. like Maybelline or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is sponsored by hijack and Apple TV. Yeah. Also sponsored by Amazon. Yeah. So but we also, the second category is we have the criminals. So this is traditional air piracy. And I think everybody listening can kind of fill in the blanks here, right? You take, you basically, you have a lot of advantages here. You have, you're in a, in a mobile, it's like robbing a bank except the bank can fly. So here's the thing. I want to say this for our Zoomer listeners, mm-hmm. which is one, get a job. Get a job. Get a job. Get a job. Go, yeah. Pull up your pants. Oh, Lord. Unless they're those crazy big old denim shorts everybody's wearing. These (laughs) women are wearing these days. Oh, stop wearing those. Stop wearing those. No, I'm not saying any of those things. But what I am saying is that you might only know of hijacking as Mm 9-11 because you're very stupid. Here's the thing. People used to hijack planes for all kinds of reasons, as we're saying. But a lot of times it was just to get money. Get money. Get money. And that's the criminal. This was hustle culture back then. Yes. Now it's you drop ship. Back then it was like, well, I'm going to take a now 75 it was you take hostage. Ship of air. Exactly. Wow. That's really, <laughs> that's really good, Liz. 
could have worked. It's totally. the classic thing, you know. You have a bunch of hostages. You have a mobile platform, uh, and you know, it's it's uh, the only problem is getting off of the plane. Yeah, this is the big problem. And but the thing lot is, of, and I'm going to say this. Lot cannot square that circle. Lot cannot square that circle. <laughs> D.B. Cooper could, which we'll talk about. Or did he? Or, or could he? did he? I mean, he might have just fallen to the ground and died. Yeah, yeah. In which that case is also he did not. Very possible. Yeah. Uh, but this was this was. Uh, you know, there's some overlap here because a lot of these would functionally happen in the same way as political hijackings. Right. Which is the. But they're third, very different. Very different. Very different. Yes. Yeah. The third major category is, of course, the famous political hijacking. So there's this document that the CIA wrote in July 1982. It was released like five years ago. Uh, it's basically like an examination of the, you know, the major period of air hijackings mm. and tries to like – and there's, there's a lot of docu- – there's a lot of like papers and stuff written about this. But like basically tries to like separate each hijacking individual like to categorize things, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So they say that about 108 out of the 684 skyjackings in that period were political and that 47 different, quote, terrorists, according to the CIA, outfits perpetrated them. So that's a huge amount. I mean, 47 is kind of a lot of them. Yeah, that's a lot more than I think people would think. Exactly. And yeah, yeah there are there is actually a huge number. I think there's there's a they have a at listed in the appendix of this document. And there's there's some I hadn't even heard of in there. Mm. So notably, the CIA says that only about 8% of the hijackings actually occurred in North America and that most terrorists boarded in Lebanon. Were the irregulars on there? There there I mean the thing that's is, a great name. They they used to, uh, also that's a terrorist like a really is good punk band in a name. regular is a punk band, I believe. Oh. The terrorist is in a. I don't think a very good one though. Oh. Um, I, the terrorists and irregulars are kind of the same thing, mm. but they became branded as like a, a, a terrorist in the 1960s would have been an irregular in a different context in the 1930s. Mm. You can uh, read Foucault about that exactly. if you want to learn more. Yeah. Uh, don't, I've never read a single word Foucault has written. And you shouldn't. And look at me. I'm happy. I'm healthy. I'm doing well. And look at you out there. I know those people who've read every word. Are you happy? Are you happy? When you go to he- bed tonight, do you, do you close your eyes and smile? I don't do that. I'll no, be honest. Right. I don't smile. At bed. I have trouble sleeping. However, a huge amount of those planes, despite where they took off, also ended up in Cuba. So much so that there was actually a cute little sort of like influencer house that all the hijackers lived there together. Hijack house. It was hijack house. You're actually correct. That is what they called it. Hijack house. That's cute. And I got it. I got to I think, mention here. A lot of times, host countries were not exactly super juiced to accept hijackers. Yes. Cuba is a real country. They have a real intelligence service. They have a real army. And so a lot of times, and this is the true of Libya, Syria as well, mm. and a lot of times people would hijack planes and go there, and sometimes the people in those intelligence services and those armies would be like, cool, dude, like, thank you. We were, like, really planning on there. Like, those countries have, like, agendas of their own. Sure. Weren't always... Why'd you come crash the party, et cetera? Like, you we know, didn't invite you. We don't really know what's going on Also, here. I will say this. From a intelligence perspective mm-hmm. do you trust the hijacker no that's what I'm a saying a lot of times they didn't right because I think they were like well you are I mean this is the other problem I think in a lot of these guys heads and there's various different I mean we're not talking about like the, the like PFLP members here yeah, right yeah, we're yeah. kind of talking about like more 
maybe less connected guys. But like, I would they, say like the one-offs that are like, I'm just fucking going to Cuba. I'm going to Cuba. It's like, well, you're kind of crazy. Like you yeah. hijacked a plane. Yeah. And so like, no, you're not going to like come. I think that people have this in their head that they're going to go somewhere and they're maybe like, maybe like a hero. Like, hey, look, I got you this plane. But what you're really doing is you got to think like, are you actually making more work for them? Yeah. You know, like, it's like, do you like it when someone says, it's like, I'm going to come crash at your house for a week? Yeah, I would say Cuba wasn't exactly welcoming them. The U.S. really didn't know how to stop them either. I mean, we should say they did try to, to, they thought of uh, building a fake airport. Yes. That would look like the Havana airport to fool hijackers into landing there. That's crazy to me because (laughs) the whole thing with Cuba, I've flown into Cuba. I went there in 2015. And one of the major parts of going to Cuba is that you you flying over an island, yeah, right. And if astute listeners might realize, not only is no man an island, but Florida itself is also not an island. Mm. And so I get that it's peninsular in some areas, sure. you know, or in, in all areas, I guess. Uh, but so I that think very keep fourth area. Exactly. I, I, if I was a hijacker, I'm like, hey, we're over Cuba now. I'd be like, show me the show me the fourth area, right. America loves solving a problem by just, like, building a fake thing. Well, well I'll get to it a little later, but that almost did work <laughs> in another instance. This fucking Truman Show-ass fucking country. <laughs> so the reasons for, you know, political types to hijack a plane are pretty obvious, I think. And one of the classic things that political people like to do is to draw attention to causes. Mm. And so this is why we often had, especially groups like the PFLP, hijacking planes. Right. Now, uh, hijacking... Within the PFLP was almost like an art. They did it many times. They were fantastic at it. Fantastic Famously at it. so. And so sometimes, you know, they would do this to draw attention to things. Sometimes they would do it to be like to show that they were serious because there was, of course, like people who were, you know, pro-treaty. And then there were people who were kind of rejectionists of the treaty who maybe we should not make peace with Israel. Uh, and that airplane hijacking was sort of used as a, let's say, a physical rhetorical bludgeon in that argument. Right. Um Sometimes they would use these planes as getaway vehicles in already extant hostage situations. I don't know if that class qualifies as a classic hijacking because it's sort of in the same way as you're requesting a getaway car. Mm. Uh, sometimes they would use them to free captured comrades. They'd be like, they would take hostage on a plane and be like, let's get some of these people. Like, we will release this plane when you free some of our people from prison. That did often used to work, I got to say. It yeah, that actually worked pretty well. Worked pretty well, yeah, yeah as the case we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, this was famously the method used by the Japanese Red Army in their attack on the French embassy in the Netherlands. They uh, used it to, they used a uh, hostages essentially to free comrades that had been captured, but also demanded an airplane as a getaway vehicle for themselves. Mm. So sometimes countries like Cuba also could sell these airplanes back, or uh, not really sell them back for full price, but like, you know, charge to retrieval fees to America and say they would be able to get some foreign currencies. Leila Khaled said, this is in a more recent interview, I think about five years ago. I didn't care if I was the first woman hijacking a plane or not. I just wanted to do something for our cause. Of course, we knew we weren't going to liberate Palestine with hijackings, but it was a way to get international attention. This is what I'm always saying. This is the good side of women seeking attention. Exactly. I mean, she is, I mean, she is... So 
one of the more famous hijackings by the aforementioned Japanese Red Army, although I believe it's before they became the Japanese Red Army. I think at this point they were the Japanese Red Army faction. Um, I think the, them and another group merged and later became Japanese Red Army. This happened in March 31st, 1970, at the height of the period of international airplane hijacking. Nine members of the Red Army faction, including from a guy from that fucking band whose name I could never pronounce, but everyone had their fucking record back in 2008. I remember this all the time when all my friends were like, oh, like, we're not, like, we're not just into fucking, like, being losing and discharge anymore. We're getting into, like, Noi and shit. Oh. And it's like, all right, which is good. Like, I like Noi. Sure. This is the period where everybody was like, we're going to get into Noi. Yeah, everyone was in 2008. Yeah. Noi, 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 Noi. Mm-hmm. Uh, more like a Noi-in. Actually, it's a fantastic band. Just not really listening. Kind of, it's kind of spectrum-y band sort of spectrum genre of music. No disrespect to that. I like it a lot, but let's call it spade a spade here. He was in a band called Les Razzlies Dead Nudes. I think Razzlies, R-A-Z-I-L-L-E-S, it's a made-up word, I'm pretty sure. It sounds kind of French. But they reissued that record heavier than Death in the Family, which is when I found out about this hijacking. Okay. Because the former bass player, who actually I don't even believe played bass on that record, which was, I believe, a live record, was on this hijacking. He was one of the hijackers. So they're a new left group from Japan, and they hijacked Japan, Japan Airlines Flight 351. The leader of the hijackers gets up with a fucking katana, and this is kind of what makes it famous like in, in yeah. the general popular culture because it's kind of crazy. It, it is fucking crazy. And I got to be honest. How did he get it on the plane? I think back then the Japanese ticket teacher agents were probably like, that is normal. <laughs> that is normal. This you is think? yeah. He's Bushido. They were probably like, oh, he's he's like a, he's probably a warrior. Okay. They that probably thought he was a warrior. Racial. Well, I mean, I'm sorry. A, a Japanese guy having a katana. Let's face it. I'm sorry, Richard Hanania here. That's racial. <laughs> That's racial. The guy looks like Dark Lex Friedman. Um, Richard Hanania. He gets. How can your name be Hanania? <laughs> I would. I would. I would if I, when I was old enough to, if my rich name was Richard Hanania, when I was old enough to achieve <laughs> consciousness, I would start my parents' car in the garage. So I, he, he gets up, he gets the katana, he's like, listen, I'm taking over this motherfucker. Eight of his boys stand up, and these are all like college students, but they've got like pipes, you know, like I think they got little knives. I think mm. one of them has a bomb, maybe someone has a gun. There's like one of them 16, and they're like, take us to fucking Cuba. And the pilot, and this is always happening to people. That's a long flight from Japan. The pilot's like, that's a long flight from Japan. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I don't have the fuel. Yeah. My ass would say, find it, motherfucker. I got the katana. Yeah. Like, yeah, refuel. It's an airplane. You do this all the time. This can't fly to Cuba or you won't fly to Cuba. But they're like, "Uh, fine, then take us to North Korea. Which I'm like, Mm. dog, just go there. You're right next to it. Yeah. But... Regardless, they they start, they have to refuel, which I'm a little suspicious. This is 1970. Yeah. Okay. I'm like I'm a little suspicious that you already have to refuel. North Korea is like 40 minutes away. They refuel in Japan. While they're there, the pilots like start, like like get this basically information that they're like they're handed a map with a flight route to North Korea, but with that they're sort of handed a note that says like we're gonna try to do something a little funky once you guys get over there. They are, I believe, shot at by anti-aircraft that fire from North Korea because they haven't told North Korea they're going. Yeah, you got to tell them. They're, and they're, they're like coming. literally on a war footing with South Korea. You're yeah. a plane flying over South Korea. You can't be a Japanese plane landing in North Korea. They're going to shoot They're going to shoot your ass. Unless you just communicate. It's all communicate. about communication. Make a fucking phone call. It's just about communication. Typical, typical. Men, by the way, men doing this. 
So they are escorted by two South Korean fighter jets to a military airport in Mm -hmm. South Korea, which has been decorated to look like the Pyongyang airport. How did they do that so fast? I I, I mean, they have a lot of North Korean military uniforms because obviously their spy agency has them. They put up some North Korean flags, some DPRK flags, and they have some banners welcoming the hostages. Or, excuse me, welcoming the hijackers. But they land, and the hijackers are like, I don't know, dude. Like, this looks a little weird. This is absolutely going to be like some fucking Matt Damon-ass movie in I, like I guarantee they've made a movie out of this. Well, there is a different movie about something else the Japanese Red Army did. It. It's not a good one. <laughs> it's not a good thing that they did. They did some bad things. Uh, but uh, they, they're like, all right, well, let's, let's, I don't know, let's get off the plane here. Where's the pictures of Kim Jong-il? Mm-hmm. And the, they're like, all right, we're trying to fool you. Sorry. They release the hostages. Smart move. And I believe they take the deputy uh, transport minister of Japan to North Korea. Now, by the way, they're doing this the whole time with katanas. Katanas. Yeah, katanas. But no you gu- got a katana to no a guy's... no one have a gun anywhere? I mean, I think people have guns, but they're probably like, I will cr- do something crazy with this katana. The katana is scarier to me than a knife because I feel like a katana well, can deflect a bullets. Long... Oh, okay. if, have you seen Ghost Dog? Yeah, but I don't think everyone has the skills. You don't think, but you've seen Ghost Dog. Yes. Yeah, great movie. Sure. But that guy will often use a katana. Yeah, but I'm saying not every, and especially not every man like wielding a katana has those skills, although they do think they have this those skills. This could be South Korean, ra- well, I'm not going to say that, but if maybe the South Koreans saw a Japanese guy with a katana and made cultural assumptions that he was good with it. Okay. Maybe they thought like, I don't know. He could be good with it. Mm. So I feel like you can be skinny and still be a good swordsman. Seems like something that you could quickly test. By shooting them? Yeah. But they also said they had a bomb. Okay. So they let out the passengers. They take the, de- the deputy transport minister, and they go to North Korea. And the, you know, they, they, the plane gets returned. The transport minister gets returned, all that kind of shit. But they basically just, like, they thought they were kind of going to become international revolutionaries. Some of them did leave the country and, like, get arrested in other places, maybe doing something a little wild. Uh, but most of them ended up just living in the DPRK in kind of a group house for the rest of their lives. Uh, some of them returned to Japan, eventually faced trial, and were pretty lengthy prison terms. One of them, uh, I believe, is running. In fact, I believe it's the, 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 the rock and roller. I believe he is running on sort of an old people's platform oh. uh, for, uh, I can't remember, but like I think maybe actually for... The, for basically for parliament there, although I can't really remember what position, but he's running for something to help what he calls silver-haired people. Aww. Uh, the rest of them, six of them still live there, and they have a Twitter account at Yobo, Y-O-B-O underscore Yodo, although it hasn't been updated in a long time, I think oh. for since April 2022. Japanese Red Faction later becomes Japanese Red Army. They have a, uh, a, a difficult incident in the mountains uh, where they uh, kill a bunch of each other and then have a big standoff with the police, which they made a movie about, which I actually haven't seen. Some of them participated in the Lod Airport Massacre, which was a very ill-advised move uh, where they just shot a bunch of people in, in an Israeli airport. And uh, the Japanese guys who were involved in this, I got to tell you, these guys were shooting motherfuckers all over the world, mm. which... At some level, you're like, damn, that's crazy. Yeah. So one trend with hijacking that I've noticed that we haven't mentioned yet is that at various points in history, officials were worried that 
there would basically be too many hijacking copycats because the hijackers themselves were too sexy. Yeah, yeah. We were reading about this. It this was- is really funny. They were worried about it spreading through the media and, and there being too many sexy hijackers. And one of those sexy hijackers was a man named Raphael Minicello mm. or Raffaele Minicello. I don't know. We're going to do Raphael also as a kind of like nice little nod to both the Teenage Ninja Turtles and, um, you know, classic Italian yeah. uh, ancient culture in the Musk tradition. So Raphael uh, is an Italian native, but he grew up in Seattle. Oof. He did 16 months in South Vietnam uh, as a Marine. He earned himself a Purple Heart. He said, uh, and I believe him fully, that the American commanders were crazy racist. But I do love an Italian complaining about racism. However, this was in the 70s, so, you know. Burn at the village. Burn at the village. I shoot at a woman. I shoot at a woman for him. I, I, I murdered the children and he did nothing. He doesn't respect me. Yeah. They apparently ended up screwing him on his salary, too. So he was, like, really fucking pissed uh, at, at the American military. He decided to take revenge by breaking into Camp Pendleton and stealing a bunch of radios and watches. And okay. he basically okay. added well, up how much he was owed, stole that in watches, and then was like, I'm just taking back what's mine. <laughs> I'm sorry here. I have, I have, I know a lot of left-wing people think like the only joke they can make is about Italians or whatever. Yeah. Italians are funny, I, but I like Italians of a course. lot. I love Italians. They're great. I got to tell you, if, you're, if your problem is they're being racist to you for being Italian, probably don't steal every watch <laughs> on the base. Because it, I'm, I'm yeah. sorry, that is sort of, sort of like the stereotype. Fueling the fire. Fueling the fire yeah. there. Maybe the calls come from inside the house. Mm-hmm. So he, rather than like go to prison for that, he was court-martialed. There was a whole thing. Uh, he just <laughs> booked it out of there and took a bus to LAX, bought a flight ticket to SFO. With him, he brought an M1 rifle and 250 rounds. He takes two shots of whiskey and then points his gun at a stewardess, demanding to be taken to JFK. Wait, he brought an M1 rifle yes, on an airplane? broken down. Okay, all right. Okay, broken so he's down. going to the bathroom. Instead of doing what I used to do when I was younger, which is occasionally masturbate on line flights, he assembles an M1 rifle. We're just going to move right past we're that. We're going to move right I past that. Because sometimes you're just like, when that. you're viral. No, we're moving past it. Yeah, when you're viral, you just put the gun together in there. And you just, like, kind of walk out, and you're like, I feel a little different, and you just point it at a stewardess. So he demands to go to JFK, and apparently the crew was like, wait, you don't want to go to Cuba? <laughs> and they were very, very maybe confused he thinks, maybe, maybe he at this request. Country. I mean, it's weird that it's like a terror, you know, it's like a, a it's not like a state, you know? Maybe yeah, you well, they're like, different. why would you go to New York when the police are going to be there? You don't want to go to Cuba. Just all hijackers went to Cuba. Oh, duh, JFK. Yeah, not, I was thinking of. DC. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He wants to go to New York. Yeah. So they stop in Denver, got to refuel. Mm-hmm. They let off all the hostages. And while on the way to JFK, he tells his story to the crew. Now, this is like, I can only imagine he's sort of like gathered around and being very like charming and Italian and like very gesticulating wildly. Yeah. And like, you know, very animated and charming. Um, he's also very handsome. We had to burn the village to save the village. <laughs> He has the crew, like, totally under his spell. 
they're totally like wrapped up in it. He's telling them about the horrible commanders and the Marines, how they screwed him out of his money, all of this shit, all the terrible stuff he saw in Vietnam. He was very anti-Vietnam. Well, the, think of it this way too. At this point, actually, if the passengers have been let off, yeah, but the plane is still going. Technically, the stewardesses and the pilots are still getting paid. That's true. And so it's like they're just getting free overtime while handing out with a, like a sexy Italian. Because he's probably using the gun method on him, right? Mm. Famous brace belt and gun method where he's like points the gun at you. You're freaked out. He's going to kill you. Then he lets you pro- – he probably let the stewardess point the gun at him. So they're like totally on his side and they're like, let's not go to JFK. Let's just go to fucking Rome. And, they're, and he's like, baller, great. They go to Rome. They land. At which point, Raphael is able to escape the authorities and went, goes into hiding in, like, a church in the countryside. How does he get out? He just leaves the airport? I don't know. I mean, I think he's very, like— seventy. Yeah. yeah. He's, like, skinny and running around. He and, just, like, blends in with all other, like, like handsome, unshaven 30-year-old Italian yes. men in Rome. Now, he became kind of, like, an Italian folk hero at this point, and he gets captured after, like, a couple months of being in hiding— and he was, like, super popular. Like, the Italian people fucking loved him. And he was so popular that the Italian government was like, shit, we can't extradite him. Like, people like him too much. They'll get too mad at us. And then that made the U.S., like, super fucking pissed. Like, Nixon was, like, really, really mad uh-huh. at the Italians and was like, these are, these are like, NATO brothers. Like, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, everyone knows what also the U.S. was doing in Italy. <laughs> Late yeah, 60s yeah, and yeah, 70s. yeah. He's like, send the Sixth Fleet over there. Yeah, this is all because of Rafael. <laughs> um, so he gets out. They try him on a minor count. He serves only 18 months in prison. And then he gets out and he signs a deal to be a movie star in a spaghetti western. <laughs> he was a really charming guy. He um, continues being kind of a folk hero. Then he opens up a pizzeria in Rome called Hijacking. <laughs> okay. I'm and, you know, I think to this day, like, people will go visit him in, 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 in Naples and he'll still talk to, talk to big fans. He's like a big, um, big hero there in Italy. Shirtless and beautiful. But like I said, you know, this made the Americans really, really pissed. And I guess, you know, Nixon was like so mad and angry and scared of Raphael's sexiness that they tried to, like, limit the media exposure of him in America because they were like, we need to stop Americans from thinking that it's super sexy to hijack planes. It is. It was. Was. 9-11 changed everything? 9-11 changed everything. Um, and they were, like, really trying to limit it and trying to, like, make sure that, you know, don't get any big ideas, don't get too don't sexy. Don't do it with this handsome Italian man with the airline stewardess on his lap, fully French kissing him, but the crazy kind where, like, your mouth is too over the other person's mouth like they do sometimes in movies. Don't it do that. didn't work. A week later, a 14-year-old boy from Ohio <laughs> took a, a hostage, a young girl, on a bus and, like, used her to, like— make his way through an airport in Cincinnati and then, like, got on a plane with this, like, young girl and was like, take me to Stockholm. Why does he just... Why does he start the hijacking on the bus? No, because he's... I don't know, he's 14. 14, And he was trying to be sexy. Oh, man. He's like, oh, he thought thought that she would develop Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, Raphael's sexy magic... Now, there's, of course, another very famous sexy hijacker who mm-hmm. you mentioned. Yes. Layla Khaled. We should talk about her. Now, she basically refused to be a sexy icon for hijacking, which is, yeah. like, very iconic. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's 
uh, like obviously one of the great heroes of the 20th century. Yeah, she ended up basically an icon even though she didn't want to be. Uh, this was August 29th, 1969. She was 25 years old at the time. Mm-hmm. Member of the PFLP, like we said, PFLPQT. Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. Thank you. Uh, this was a TWA flight headed to Tel Aviv from Rome. But like while they were on the flight, they diverted it to Damascus. They freed all the passengers on board and then blew up the nose of the plane. Um, she and the rest were arrested in Syria. There's a very famous photo where she's sort of like, you know, she has like a necklace with bullets on it. This is where yeah. this all, all this kind of like iconography came from. And, this, and the Syrians too, like they had a fractious relationship with Palestine or Palestinian yeah. groups for to this present day. Uh, there's there was a lot of maneuvering between them and Iraq and various Palestinian groups, the Lebanese government. I mean, it's just it became like a, a kind of complicated morass at times. Yeah, she became a bit of celeb though from these photos that came out of her. She was because you know she's like very beautiful, very cool, very chic, etc. She got so famous that she actually underwent a bunch of like pretty early early style plastic surgery. Uh, I think like six or seven surgeries to basically, like, change her face so much that she couldn't be recognized so she could do more hijackings, which is, like, so fucking badass. Well, she did do, famously, another hijacking a year later. Her and this guy, Patrick Arguello, who, like Arguello Street in San Francisco, was from San Francisco. That sentence didn't make total sense. Interesting. But he was from San Francisco, but he was actually a Sandinista, and mm. so he did not spend a lot of time in San Francisco. A Bernie Sanders supporter. Yes. <laughs> she and him were part of a coordinated effort by the PFLP to hijack four different airplanes at the same time. Because the PFLP at this point were like, we're getting pretty good at this. Like, let's start, let's start up in the ante yeah. here. You let's know? ramp it up. Let's ramp it up. And so they're like, we're going we're gonna to do four different coordinated airplane hijacks, land them all in Jordan, where the, a lot of Palestinian groups were based at the time, although not for much longer. And uh, unfortunately, he threw a grenade, which I got to be, as somebody who has witnessed the effects of hand grenades, Throwing a grenade at an airplane is the craziest fucking thing you can do. And That's it happened terrifying. many times. Just because, I mean, they're not, it's not like, exp- I mean, some of them are explosive, but like, I'm sure he was using a shrapnel one. It just, it didn't go off. And a guy was like, what the I fuck? She did that. She did it too. Yeah. yeah. She did it at one point as well. Yeah. He, uh, she, I mean, who knows? They might have just been like weird little bombs they had. I don't know if they were, ac- I can't imagine they were actual hand grenades because like those really, like, many people would have died. Yeah. Like, a hand grenade... Well, and it's like, what are the coincidences that they both don't work? Yeah, yes. Why well, do you have all these bad grenades? He's hit over the head with, like, I believe a whiskey bottle, and mm-hmm. basically they, they, they lose the hijacking. They are arrested in England. Yeah. And so the PFLP is like, how do we the fuck do we get them out? Oh, let's hijack another plane. It solves all your problems. Though. And it worked. Yeah. They get out. They fucking... They're flown out of there. They yeah. free the goddamn prisoners... And this is actually a very, very famous, one of the most famous hijackings of all time, the Dawson's Fields hijacking. Mm-hmm. So they take all four of these airplanes, they put them in a field, well, not a field, rather, an airstrip in Jordan. An airfield. An airfield. And then they blow up the airplanes. Yeah. Coincidentally, not coincidentally, there's actually no coincidence here at all. Funnily enough, one of the hostages on those airplanes, they, they let the hostages go, was Luis Mench's brother. That's weird. Weird. It's just weird. It's yeah. funny. Could be a part of her. I think he's a half brother, but same last name, Peter Mensch. 
believe his name was. Um, but it really, like, I mean, hijacking planes back then, it's like, if you get arrested, it's like, well, just go hijack a plane. They'll fly you out of there. Nowadays, we don't negotiate with terrorists. So we got to wrap up because we've been going long, but it would be, it would, we would be remiss if we didn't mention probably one of the most, I would say the most famous pre 9 11 <laughs> hijackings in America. Uh, and that is the one by D.B. Cooper, the most Portland of all hijackings, I would say. And it is a, it's a Portland-ass name, too. It's a Portland-ass name. It's not even a real name. It's not a real name. It takes place basically in the, I mean, in the Pacific Northwest. It, it, which is... In Portland. Not sexy. And everyone obsessed with this case, I feel like, is very Portland-coded. Portland code. It's it's very. I would say the DB Cooper thing is like a specific like. It's memeified a little bit. Yes, yeah. it's very um, mustache on a toothpick. Yes, like DB at DP Cooper um, Con. DB Cooper Con. Yeah, that, and you put on the sunglasses, and everyone does their best DB Cooper uh, like mo- like you know yeah, sketch. Yeah, like, yeah, like you go to a DB Cooper convention in the woods or something. Yeah. Yeah. But nonetheless, his it actually people don't know this either. It stood for Diablo Baldur's Gate. Mm. Cooper. Uh nonetheless, it is a crazy fucking story. It is a wild story. And it's a classic true crime bit, yeah, so we're going to we'll, do we'll it. So it it's for all of our little zoomers out there who again don't know anything about anything in the world. This happened Thanksgiving Eve 1971. We used to be a real country. We used to celebrate Thanksgiving. We used and to have an Eve. <laughs> we used to think, celebrate Thanksgiving Eve. Um, a man boards a plane from PDX heading to SeaTac. That's boarding a plane in Portland heading to Seattle. You're a bum. That's like a two-hour drive. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's like a 37-hour flight. That's like flying from San Francisco to San Jose. Wait, a 37-hour flight? 37 What, are you going flight. around the world to <laughs> yeah. go there? You're getting the long route. <laughs> 37 minute flight. Yeah, it's like a two hour drive. I don't get it. I don't get it either. You can anyway, walk. I think everyone has kind of seen the famous sketch of Mr. Cooper. <laughs> I'm going to call him Mr. Cooper. Mr. Cooper. Uh, white male, mid 40s. So sick. Dark hair. A mm-hmm. little bit of receding hairline. Every woman listening to this right now is like rubbing coconut oil all over her body. Ew. <laughs> Sunglasses, <laughs> suit and tie. Mm hmm. Uh, according to witnesses, he had a briefcase and a brown paper bag, Oof. which I don't believe had a sandwich in it. Now, on the flight, he passes a note to a stewardess. Now, the stewardess's name was Flo Schaffner, okay. which is the most stewardess name I've ever heard in my life. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. That's the, Flo Schaffner? That's a very stewardess That's name. also a very Portland name. Very Portland name, too. My that's like God. something that like you would... That's like you move to Portland to take up clowning and you work at like a, like a retro style... I, Fucking hate Portland. I dude. know. I hate Portland so fuck, and I'm sorry to anybody out there. I know I had a good time when I was there. I I, I like many of you. The t- this town it sucks. It's just too much. It's just too much. It's Put a it drag. Yeah. It's a drag. It was the first place I was ever dope sick, and I th- and I and it was so funny because at the time I was like I don't because I didn't really get that it was happening to me, but I was like this town is making me feel like mm. this, and it's just it's the the diner and the gray sky and the puddles of water. It's just, it makes me, I can understand why everyone I know there is a really bad alcoholic. So Flo gets a note 
from this man, and he's and it says, "There's a bomb on the plane. Give me two hundred thousand dollars." First, she she doesn't even look at the note, and he has to be like, "Lady, can you look at the note?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's not my. I'm wow, not asking white man in his mid forties struggling to be heard. No wonder there's so many suicides. Uh, two hundred thousand dollars, by the way, in. Uh, 1971. 1971 would be about $1.5 in Joe Biden dollars. So mm-hmm. a decent amount of fucking cash. Unfortunately, can't buy you anything today because of Joe Biden inflation. He also asked for some parachutes, which will be important in a second. Now, he shows the stewardess the bomb, which she says was eight red cil- cylinders, two rows of four, basically what I would call cartoon-looking dynamite. Uh, she takes all of this info to the pilot, who takes it to air traffic control. Now, the people on the ground are like, okay, fine, because we do negotiate with terrorists. We d- uh, yes. Uh, things used to be so much better. So much more civilized. So much more civilized. Um, we'll give you the $200,000. Just don't let anyone get hurt. That's what they say. And so the plane circles in the air for like two hours because they're like, we need to, we need some time. We got to pull up. Get together the cash. We got to get together the parachutes. We don't even know where, where to get those. Yeah. Um, and so I think the FBI is kind of like stalling. Yeah, because you, know, you know where to get. It's an airport. There's a parachute there. You go to the bank. You go whatever. to the bank. Oh, for the money. For the okay, money. Yeah, I was like, I don't know if they have parachutes. Uh, they pull together the cash and they get the parachutes. They land the plane at SeaTac and the man exchanges all the hostages for a briefcase of cash and four parachutes. He keeps a small crew on board. Obviously, you need a pilot, too. Um, and he says, I want to go to Mexico. Mm-hmm. So when he demands to go to Mexico, he also says, we're going to need to fly at a really low speed, kind of low to the ground, uh-huh. uh, and also keep all the rear exits open and also keep the little stairs attached to the exits while you're flying. <laughs> Which, by the way, is now why that's a rule that you can't do that. Really? Yeah, there's like a there's a you whole, can't fly with the doors open anymore. No, you can't. There's a whole thing with how you attach the stairs. Anyway, it's like a whole thing, Didn't but it's know because that. of this. Anyway, yeah. so the cockpit's like we can't make it to Mexico. This is like a tiny commuter plane. We we only do uh, Portland to Seattle routes. Like, come on, you got to refuel. So we got to stop in Reno. Classic. Classic hijacking scenario. We got to stop. We have to refuel. Uh, The man says, okay, fine, whatever. But it doesn't matter because I don't think there was ever a plan to get to Mexico or for Reno for that matter. Because after about 20 minutes, around 8.13, the cabin crew is like, wait a second. Things seem a little bit different around here. What happened to the guy? (laughs) What happened to the hijacker? And they look and he's gone. He's seemingly jumped out of the plane. Uh, he's got, took the cash with him and the parachutes. Here's the thing. They never found the man. They never found the parachutes. They never found the cash. And no one knows what the fuck happened. So, I mean, it's, it's I'm like, I always wondered, I was like, did he have a guy meeting on the ground or something? I know there's a lot of theories on it, but it's like. There's a lot of theories that I we're not like, covering because we're not like actually that kind of I feel like he probably just fell to the ground and died. Well, that's what the FBI says. Because I will say this. If I was the FBI giving a parachute to a hijacker, Mm. I would make sure that parachute didn't open. I would be like, we're giving him defective. Do you think they were that smart? I don't think they were that smart. It's probably hard to do because the guy probably checked the parachutes if he knows Mm. how to parachute. But, like, I would be like, yeah, just fall and die. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you're off the airplane. You're one hijacker. A bunch of the um, suspects that people have 
for who this would be were like ex parachuters. Yeah, yeah. A I lot know of that. a lot of them old like army guys. They yeah, think. that would make sense. Um, but the FBI closed the case in in 2016, and is just like officially no longer looking for him. Yeah, it's done. Uh, but he did, of course, inspire a bunch of copycats. Which, much to Nixon's chagrin, Nixon didn't like this. Didn't like it. No, no sexy, no sexy hijacking allowed in the USA. Um, there were fifteen in total attempted after Cooper's in the same style as him. God. This is what's so crazy about the whole swagger phenomenon. jacking. Swagger jacking. You know what? The airplane was not the only thing hijacked. His swag was as well. Yeah, there were a ton of veterans that attempted a bunch of these. A lot of old Green Berets, paratroopers, people of that nature. I mean, you have to also remember, look, this is Vietnam. There's a lot of really fucking angry vets all around with not a lot to lose who have just seen horrible things and done terrible things. A veteran, I I used to know is dead now, actually, but he he told me that after, because he was in, I think... Afghanistan in like 06 because mm. like shit got fucked up there and I think he was in, uh, he was in Iraq the, a different tour but like he was, he was in, heavily in combat was was physically injured from it uh, and you know was part of this sort of like group of guys who were kind of fucked up from you know it's the classic American shoot and cry thing like they're a little fucked up from that they're all go back here crazy but these guys uh, would go up to uh, Humboldt Mm. And uh, basically, raid weed plantations. Oh. Like they would take because people steal stuff from their time in the army frequently, mm. and they had like very expensive night vision goggles, sure. and things like that. And they would go um, and basically like like work for certain weed farmers, or they would just like rob people. Like they would burn down people's uh, farm weed farms at the behest of like rivals. Damn, and that's like crazy. This. Yeah, yeah. A guy I knew hung out with these guys, but he was like, t- I don't think they like let him do that. He was like a little too crazy. Damn, that's nice. I know. Of all the guys that copied D.B. Cooper, all, um, all of them got captured. Yeah. Mostly like the next day or like two days later. Like none of them really, although a lot of them made off with cash like successfully, they were like later caught. Later caught, yeah. D.B. Cooper's the only one who was like officially never caught, although who knows what happened to him. The thing that did come out though from the whole D.B. Cooper case. Universal luggage searches. The U.S. government was finally like, all right, all, all right. right, all right. We're going to start checking bags. The guy, and, and <laughs> it this took is them part, that long. This is part of the, the endless and ceaseless, which is the same thing, but both true, U.S. government war on cool. And they have, I hate to say it, people thought it was the war against the left or the war against black people. The war, All those things were all part of the overall war against cool. And I hate to say it, they won the war. Mm. They won the war. Flying is one of the least cool things you can do because they started checking your bags and they started checking you for guns. And if you want to learn more about that, you should listen to our big episode we did on airplanes over on the Patreon sponsored by the TV show Hijack. Hijack on a- Hulu? Apple TV. Apple TV. Also sponsored by Hulu. So nowadays, there's very, 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 very few skyjackings. 9-11 changed everything. I'm always saying that. 9/11 so say it with changed. me again. 
Nine eleven changed everything. You know what, man? Nine eleven changed everything. It's really like so. Sixty eight to seventy one is really like when most of these happen. Yeah. Seventy two, they start putting in like a lot of like airport security, and like we talked about in the airplane episode, sponsored by the Idris Elba television vehicle. I thought he died. No. Why mm-hmm. do I think that? That's very. Was that weird like thing a fake thing? Nope. Idris Elba no longer dead, now alive again, like Jesus Christ Himself. Sponsored our episode on planes. We talk about airport security in there, but it was really lax even after this, and you can kind of like still hijack some stuff. But it just became more difficult to actually seek asylum in different countries, and to like the extradition thing became a little more difficult because there started being international treaties. Yeah. One of my greatest enemies, and one of the greatest enemies of the communist movement, has been international treaties because they just stop you having fun. Yeah, they stop you having fun. Italians finally decided to just let the U.S. do whatever they want. Exactly, exactly. And so they started having. I think it was one in '72. It was one a few years later, and they started actually like codifying. Like, listen. You can't legally hijack airplanes anymore. You can't do it. Wah, 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 wah. There were still hijackings. Famously, there were some in China where they people would hijack the plane and actually take to Taiwan. Yeah. And that's the other thing. A lot of people think it was only like these PFLP and like, you know, these left-wing people hijacking planes. A lot of people hijack planes. A lot of uh, nationalists from hey, Yugoslavia. It takes all kinds. It takes all kinds. People hijack planes back then. Uh, now it happens very, 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 very rarely. In fact, the most recent incident I can remember off the top of my head happened a while ago, and this is a classic case of a guy who was heartbroken over the loss of a, of a wife, a man who lost his wife. Mm. Not to death, but to Cyprus. An Egyptian man named Mustafa uh, boarded an Egypt Air flight. I think it was like 10 years ago. Mm. Uh, it might have been less time than that, actually. I think it might have been... I don't know. It didn't happen that long because there was another guy in Cyprus who was like stuck in a thing for a little while. Anyways, uh, he boards a flight, uh, an Egypt Air flight, I think maybe even to Cyprus, and he has a vest that it, it, it does just appear to be a white vest that maybe has some hot dogs in it. It's like very easily identifiably fake dynamite in it. Mm, there's like like ketchup is coming through, he seeping just, through mustard. He didn't spend, I mean, it is actually, it's, I'll say this. Don't put hot dogs in the vest. He looks really, he's like an old guy. He's sort of slump-shouldered. He's really short. Mm. And it makes, and he's got glasses, I think. If he doesn't, he seems like he has glasses. Uh, and he's like, take me to Cyprus. Like, he wants to get, you know, wants to repair things with his wife. Obviously, the guy's a little nuts. But the most famous thing that came out of it was a giant British guy. I sent the guy, you guys a picture of this last night. A giant British guy, like, took a picture of himself smiling really big next to the guy. Because I think they all were like, this guy is not really, like, he doesn't have a bomb. Poor guy. He gets arrested and he gets sent to Egypt. And I think he has life in prison. Oh, shit. I know. It's awful. But, you know, the, you, don't, you don't see these things happen anymore. And I think... A big listen. I don't want to be in an airplane that's hijacked, right? No. I, I don't, certainly don't want any of our listeners to ever do this because you would fail. But uh, what I do think about is like, at the end of the day, the trade-off. The reason that these hijacks were able to continue is because airplanes did not want airports did not want to put in security, right? Like yeah. these things, they were like they thought this was an anti-customer move. But if you actually add up all of the like, time you were spent as a hostage, or taken hostage, or the time you would spent refueling, going to Cuba, et cetera, is it really that much more than all of the delays 
and all of the cancellations that you face now because of the chaos at American airports. Here's my thing. Do you think that by them allowing a couple hijackings to happen every month, yeah. It was sort of like like a bleeding out situation. Like it kind of would like l- let some of the pressure out. Yeah, yeah. You know, like yeah. You would, you'd be like, oh, everyone to stop everyone from going crazy. We let some of the craziness happen. Like and that maintains a kind of sense of calmness in the airports. Well, I mean, it's, it, it, it is, I think the problem is, and we say this is a joke, but 9-11 really did ruin everything. Because back in the day, most of the time, I mean, this did happen. Some airplanes were blown up, right? That did happen mostly in the 80s, but not really in the 60s and 70s. They were usually blown up off the ground. They didn't really want to kill the hostages. Some people died during these things, but most of the time, not really. 9-11, though. Yeah, it really... 9-11. 9/11 because 9/11 now if I was in an airplane that got taken over, I'd be like, dude, he's going to fucking fly this shit into a fucking building, bro? Yeah, we got to kill him. That's not how we got to do it. And that, so it's like now I think it's – I fear that hijacking, the glamour was – The romance. Was irreparably tarnished by yeah. the events of September 11, 2001. And, you know, it's one of those things where this used to be a – air hijackings were the language of the unheard at one point. Mm. You know, you wanted to draw attention to your political cross. You wanted to teach Americans what Croatia was. You hijacked an airplane. And now if you hijack an airplane, I'm like, you're going to fly it into Manhattan. And for that, I'll never forget. So, ladies and gentlemen, a band is now practicing. Just a little update on how our studio is going. <laughs> uh our previous problem was the... The hammer. Well, we heard the hammer today. No, no. Our first problem was the rap vocal studio next to us. Yes. Fine with me. Didn't hear the vocals. For some reason, they did this sans headphones, right? And so yeah. they would be playing the subwoofer while trying to record vocals. And now I'm no Brian Eno. Again, square that circle. No Brian Eno, but it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And so we'd hear this sort of dull thud of the subwoofer dealt with it, you know, or we didn't deal with it. I mean, we they just, just kind of just don't it. really do it. We don't, they don't do it as, I guess they, they're not very busy right now. Then the hammer the above us. But that is every time we record at around, I clock it every time around 3.15, someone is hammering above. And I don't know what or for what reason. Yes. But yeah. it's like at first, when we first moved in here, we dismissed it as he's building furniture. He's building furniture. It's an Ikea situation. That's very frustrating. I understand the velocity and the strength at which you're hitting that thing because you are so sick of using an Allen wrench. I understand. I understand. However, but, now it seems to be something else is going on. Oh, we heard a saw. That's the sound of a skill saw That was saw like happening. coming from a different area. You but what's happening yeah, outside? The, there was definitely the hammering hammer- today. It was loud hammering today. I know, today. but hammering at a certain... at. A certain point every day. What are you time? doing? Maybe he's. What maybe is he's, that about? Maybe you know what, Christ thing. You think maybe he's like nailing guys up there. Pause. But like he's like nailing guys to a cross up there. Mm. You think? I mean, because it is. It's like a brief period of hammering that is like it's punctuated by long periods of silence. Mm. It doesn't make sense to me. But now we have a metal band practicing yes. up there, and I gotta tell you. People think that I like metal because I am the number one king of the punks, Prince of the Skins, but I don't like heavy metal. 
and I certainly don't like this heavy metal. It's very loud. You gotta stop. I'm Liz. My name is Brace, and I am about to swat the studio above us. Uh, producer is named Young Chomsky. He is on this what theme. And this has been Trudon. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>